Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MN Drive-In Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. Uh, fine, I guess. It was just another normal week. That's good to hear. <laughs> Is it? Because it uh, seems like I read that you had to drive like eight hours in one day just to get back to your house. It's it's closer to nine hours, and I actually had to do that twice. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. Thurs- Thursday, I had to drive to Waukegan and back to pick her up, and then Saturday, I did the same thing again to take her back. Oof. Yeah, that's tough. It's not, it's not fun. I think I could live with the drive if it wasn't for the fact that, like, gas prices are real high right now, so that fucking hurts. Yeah. I was telling Char next time, instead of bringing her home, it's probably just cheaper for us to get a nice hotel room with a swimming pool and let her party. <laughs> like, <laughs> at least at least in this era of awareness, you know, maybe I could make a hotel reservation and explain that she's autistic and she might be loud. And please give us a spot that's kind of out of the way from everybody. <laughs> To be like, fuck no, goddamn commie. That seems unnecessarily harsh in the circumstances. Uh, so did everybody watch the Spider-Man trailer? Yeah. yeah. I'm actually pretty excited about it. I didn't I didn't think I'd get excited about the second trailer because I figured I knew there's not really any new reveals, but um, it still got me pretty worked up. It's fascinating that they went a way different direction with that second trailer. Mm-hmm. Because the first trailer was kind of like intense, you know what I mean? And I was kind of expecting them to ratchet that up with the second trailer. And instead, the second trailer feels a little more Marvel Spider-Man-y, you know what I mean? Yeah. Which is good. It's a good thing. Electro looks real good. Yeah, he looks all right. It looks a lot better than fucking blue Electro. I fucking hate (laughs) Electro. Well, I mean, it's that's the thing is in some in some ways they've um, what's the polite way to say it? They've set the bar so low by comparing themselves to the Amazing Spider-Man films. It's like, well, they're going to improve those characters. How could they not? Well, I'll tell you you what the weird thing is, though. You get a better look at Lizard in this trailer. Mm -hmm. And it sure looks like they didn't fix his fucked up ass Goomba face. (laughs) I really thought they were going to fix that and give him like yeah. an alligator snout. I feel like they gave him more of a barrel chest, but that's about it. We'll maybe see. they openly they, kill him off quickly or something. Maybe, or yeah, maybe it, maybe the animation is just going to be so much better that it'll well, look all other, right. The other possibility is that like what we're seeing in the trailers isn't indicative of what's actually coming anyway. Right. Like, 
they could fix special effects they could edit characters out they can add characters in like they've That's done true. this all to us before right i was i was telling somebody the other day how fucked how fucked would it be if the other two spider-men aren't actually in the movie and that marvel brought them in and took those pictures and did all those leaks just to fuck with everybody i would love it honestly it would make me laugh so hard i mean because you could set up like a a live action into the spider-verse at the end and and then just be like, nope, this is this is what you all get for making demands. Guys, <laughs> <laughs> guys, remember when Warner Brothers made the whole movie over again just because uh, fans demanded it? We're going the other way with it. <laughs> yeah, it looked really good. Moon Knight trailer really good. Mm-hmm. Finally saw the real She-Hulk trailer. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? Like I said, that fake, tra- those fake trailers, they must have put them together within an hour. Because I mean, I was on there waiting for the new trailers to drop, <laughs> and those fake trailers dropped with the new footage. In them. Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> I love I that mean, people fucked with you online by accident. <laughs> well, it was it was crazy. So once I figured out that it that the trailer I saw was the wrong trailer. It still took me hours of going through things to find the real trailer. I don't understand that because 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 God forbid Marvel put it on fucking their channel. But if you just typed the word she into the search bar in YouTube, it usually autofills Hulk trailer and then pops up and the official one is the one at the top. No, see, that's the whole thing. That wasn't the one at the top. I had 10 million fake trailers. See, the problem is you've been watching so many fake trailers that you fucked up the algorithm. Now YouTube thinks that's what you want. I don't, except, except I don't watch a lot of trailers. Well, apparently you do. YouTube thinks you do. To be fair, I found out since, you know, I'm doing stuff with Joe Blow that there are no official releases of that trailer. Oh, the She-Hulk trailer was leaked? Yeah, apparently like there's because like the Obi-Wan Kenobi behind the scenes thing with Ewan McGregor apparently has not officially been released either. Really? But was released during their event. So then oh, someone, yeah, yeah, someone yeah. leaked it. Yeah. So then someone leaked it, but they haven't like Disney hasn't put this stuff out on social media for people to watch, which I don't understand. It seems like if you have an event like this, just post all the trailers, but yeah. they're holding was- stuff, some stuff back for some reason. I was going to say, I like the fact that the the Moon Knight trailer looks like it's exactly what I've always been saying I wanted in a Moon Knight thing, where mm-hmm. they just like, where the aesthetics keep changing based on his state of mind. Well, good. So that means they listen to you. And they got a really good yeah, actor to yeah, play. Yeah, I'm, so. I'm sure it was. I'm sure that's what it was. Kevin Feige's obsessive following of my Twitter feed that I yep. use twice a year. He's like, hold it. Mid-production, he came in. Sorry, guys. <laughs> we got to shut this down. Fuck. Gotta do some rewrites. This this douchebag from Buttfuck Illinois <laughs> came up with a great fucking idea, and now if we don't do it, we're gonna look like assholes. Uh, sorry, Oscar. I know you were done here in like a week, but we got to start over. I just doesn't it feel like they could have released one complete trailer for the thing? I mean, I get mm. I get the point of the teasers and stuff, but yeah, just just one full trailer would have been great. Yeah. I don't know. I'm gonna say Miss Marvel looks good. This Marvel Hello. looks pretty good. 
Although that trailer was real short. She she Hulk looks good. I, I it's gonna be I'm I'm just worried about them getting the tone wrong because those comic books are weird because they're kind of like light hearted comics, but she's also a savage murder beast that likes to fuck. So it's <laughs> well, I, I to some extent that's sort of what I got from that trailer though. It's sort of like I don't know, like a legal dramedy. So they can have all that mixed in with it, right? Yeah, yeah it'll be inter- it'll be interesting how they handle that because they if they take away the uh, the sex positive nature of that character, they're diminishing that character. But if they treat her like a whore, they're also diminishing the character. So they got to walk a real tight line. Yeah, I mean it's also Disneyfied. To whatever extent, it's not going to be too. Not going to have graphic sex scenes with a green chick. I did see. I would say that, but Eternals had that sex scene in it that, while it wasn't super graphic, I was kind of like surprised by it. Yeah, that I was like, really, Disney let that one go through, huh? Yeah, I saw something because I usually have to go see stuff on Saturdays now if I want to see anything that's new, and I did see an article that's like. You know, so-and-so brings something new to the Marvel Universe. Sex. And I watched the movie and I was like, oh, so this is what they were talking about, yeah? Well, yeah, well that, definitely sexy. And once again, I know you guys aren't familiar with these these funky, weird characters and stuff. But while I don't know a lot about the Eternals, I know who Eros is. The guy who showed up at the very end. And that dude's superpower is basically fucking powers. Like, that's what he has. He has the power to fuck. Which is real weird. His his superpower is that he can send the uh, pleasure center of your brain into overdrive and basically get you all hot and bothered. Well, that's fun. Yeah, he's a, he's a really funny character in the comic books. And the fact that he's Thanos' brother just makes it that much funnier, that you've got this really comedic, kind of lighthearted character who's the brother of the guy who's obsessed with death and just wants to murder everyone. Uh, I was honestly surprised not more Star Wars stuff. Um, like, they should have released at least something for that uh, Ahsoka series they're doing. I suppose and, uh, I, I would have thought they would have done a lot more for Boba Fett. Yeah, show more Boba Fett stuff. Because uh, it's getting ready to drop, right? Uh, yeah, December, right? Yeah, I, yeah. But they might want to be saving that to, you know, get it all hyped up right before it comes out since it's so soon. Right. Uh, they got that Andor series that they've been talking about for like years now. This is the, uh, the Rogue One prequel. Seems like they would have shown something for that. Maybe a new trailer for Mandalorian since it just started filming. Yeah. They'll get around to it. Yeah. I was, it just seems like they're hyping up a bunch of stuff for this Disney Plus day. It seems like those would be prime candidates to, to do that. Yeah. Well. I was going to say that the Obi-Wan series, I think the thing I'm finding the most surprising is they seem to be going out of their way to hype up this idea of Obi-Wan and Darth Vader having a rematch. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that wouldn't make any goddamn sense. No. Like, if he knows, if he knows Ben's alive, it fucks up the whole thing. Like, 
don't know. Maybe he uh, mind wipes Vader at some point. Yeah, or Vader thinks he kills him. Maybe it, I, I mean, maybe yeah. it's real weird. I don't know. I don't, I just I don't see how that plays out and makes any kind of sense. I don't either. But you know, I can't complain too much about anything they put on Disney Plus so far, as far as Star Wars stuff goes. So no, I, sure. I, uh, I do respect the fact that they are they're not trying to just hide the stuff that's less popular, like you know. Aiden Christensen's maybe not the most uh, most beloved actor to be returning, but they're like, whatever, he's yeah. the guy. And by leaning into it, I think that it helps I, with the world building and stuff. So my biggest question is what what exactly the fuck is he going to do in the series? Mm. Like flashbacks, maybe? I don't know. He's already all. He's already all fucked up and he's in the Vader suit. Yeah. So you don't need him to be there as an actor. And sure as fuck, they aren't using him for the Darth Vader voice. Like, doesn't make any goddamn sense. No. I, I believe they'll, I believe they will put him in the suit. I no. think that's more of a. Maybe we'll uh, get shots of him out of the suit. That's the whole thing. Maybe they'll cover him up in makeup and. Because I think they've shown like a concept art of him hanging out at that uh, little fortress base that he was in. Yeah, his, in Rogue his One. Mustafar base. Yeah, who knows? That base, that base was actually really cool. So yeah. maybe I'll get to see Hayden Christensen kicked into a fucking volcano again, <laughs> like the One Ring. <laughs> Finally, get rid of that motherfucker. Uh, I'm trying to be a little bit more positive. I'm hoping it gives him a chance to redeem himself from the two horrible movies that he was in. Well, I'll say one and a half. I didn't hate Revenge of the Sith, but this is a I, sequel to two not great movies, so I'm just, that going against it. There is nothing in Revenge of the Sith that makes it a movie worth watching. Oh, I don't no. know. That. Yeah, I don't agree with that either. When they, when they execute... Yeah, there's a lot of good in Revenge of the Sith. I take execute, that back, uh, except for uh, Mace Windu. If it no. was just the 10 seconds that Mace Windu's in that movie. Would have been when, a they, when they execute Order 66, I, after, after that, I pretty much thought everything was kind of interesting to watch. Just watching these stormtroopers literally turn around and just start shooting on their own allies. Yeah. I... I suppose, but once again, in the comic books and books, it was way more interesting. Well, Uh, I mean, this is what happens when George Lucas is in charge of stuff. You have to take what you can get. I would rather them have moved faster and had uh, Anakin becoming Vader at the end of the second movie and then Mm -hmm. had the third movie as why everyone in the Empire is afraid of Darth Vader and just had him like wanton fucking shit up i can always sit back and say what you'd prefer it's not what they made <laughs> well yeah I mean, if it were up to me i i still think that they should have made the sequel trilogy back then mm, before everybody was super duper old yeah they could have gone with the original concept of having you know luke training new jedi and stuff yeah well good times I, now i'm sad We've ruined the whole mood talking about Star Wars, a thing that I used to love. Well, let's talk about something I know Doug loves, which is creepy ventriloquist dummies. Oh, we 
know coming into this that I love that just because I selected it for a topic for a podcast. <laughs> Listen, uh, everyone who's into horror was in love with the fucking Goosebumps book that had the ventriloquist dummy in it. And we all mm. know it. Never read yeah. it. Yeah. A piece of trivia I read was that R.L. Stein designed that dummy based on one from magic. And even he has the same like weird New York accent. Uh, so Doug, why don't you tell us about magic? Magic. Um, so movie opens on Anthony Hopkins is a struggling magician trying to figure out how to make it. Uh, really quick cut to a bunch of years later where he's figured out that the solution is to bring a ventriloquist dummy up on stage with him. Um, seems seems to be a solid answer for every, every one of life's problems. I, I'm bringing one to the office next time I got to go. I'm telling you that much right now. <laughs> seem to make life a lot more fun you can say whatever you want and people just think it's funny because it comes out of a dummy's mouth um yeah and then basically what happens is he starts to get uh, a little too famous and he kind of snaps and loses it and takes off and goes back to his hometown finds his high school sweetheart running her what was her parents uh, resort rents a cottage there and proceeds to go insane in the cottage um, or I guess an alternative reading would be that the dummy comes to life, but, um, and so all the conversations that we see between him and the inanimate object are real. I guess you could go with it that way if you wanted to judging, judging by the comments of the writer and director, he was just going crazy and that the one yes. scene that suggests otherwise was a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a, I think there's a, a, a Probably the biggest flaw in the film is that we'll get to that, that one scene, but it's basically just an excuse to have Anthony Hopkins on screen for like an hour 40, just gradually going more and more crazy. Eventually, which, he is, has to uh, which start is something, killing people. which is something I enjoy seeing. So, yes, um, like I'll just say right off the bat, anything we say positive or negative about this film, the performance is great and this movie would not work at all with a, le- a lesser actor in that role. They nailed him. Oh, the holy right shit. Have you seen who the original cast was? Cause it's no. weird. I've read a couple uh, different things, but yeah. Yeah. The first, the first director wanted Corky to be Jack Nicholson. Reasonable. But, uh, apparently there was just scheduling problems and like Jack Nicholson had to drop out. And then that director dropped out. And then the second director came in and he wanted, uh, Oh God damn it. Now my brain's going to quit working. The, one of the most famous fucking actors in the world. God damn it. He played Willy Wonka. What the fuck? Well, I had heard the director didn't want him. The director wanted Anthony Hopkins, but the writer, the studio, the producer, everybody else wanted Gene Wilder. Yeah, yeah, Gene Wilder, and then the the guy who was supposed to play his manager guy was somebody different too. Yeah, I don't remember. Who was also super famous, and I was like, you know what? Yeah. That's also a really good fucking movie. It's just a completely different movie. Yeah, I mean, the movie we get is what do you say? Like it's um, it's a very specific film. I think you change any of the main characters, like the, the actors or the director or somebody. I think you're going to inevitably end up with something completely different. Yeah. 
So I only have a few objections to anything in the movie. Number one, I object to people calling it a horror movie because it's not. It's a this is this is firmly and easily slotted into the the quote fingers thriller category of movies, which are a different, a clearly different thing. Sure, but but Hollywood does have a problem of when they want to raise the prestige of a horror movie, calling it a thriller, which then confuses everybody. Yeah. Uh, And then complaint number two is this is a really cool story that is very hard to tell within the confines of a feature length film because you talked about the time jump at the beginning. Doesn't it feel like almost everything in this film's kind of unjustified that they're just rushing forward with everything as fast as they can to be like, okay, now he's in the cabin and he's crazy, you know? A little bit. Yeah. Uh, a little bit more character development at the beginning would have helped. Um, yeah. I just don't, I, I just I guess, don't know what you cut to put that in. No, I mean, you cut the old magician guy that he meets with, I guess. But that's only going to give you a few minutes. Um, Which well, yeah, apparently, apparently he was supposed to have a bigger role, and they ended up cutting yeah. it out. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. I feel like maybe this is one of those things where, like, a mini series would have been a better idea, mm-hmm. like a, a three or four part thing. Yeah, but not on seventies TV. Um, right, 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 right. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, yes, I agree. It's a bit rushed. Um, it, maybe it would have even been better to start with him arriving at the cabin and give him more time up there and then kind of tell the story a bit uh, through flashback or whatever so that you would have you would have that time to watch him gradually go more and more insane and you could see just flashbacks to when he was a normal human being. I don't know. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to. I think I'm going to have to read that book. I think it'd be a really interesting read because it's the kind of story that like you could go a lot slower in a book than go through it all. Well, Andy was talking about like, so the way like Fatso's introduced at first, apparently is like a disembodied voice. Okay. So in the book, he's kind of, he's hearing that voice before he's got the dummy. Is that what yeah. you're saying? Yeah. Okay. If I, if I understand correctly and it's one of those things of, and he thinks it's like the muse you know, okay. if that if that makes sense. Yeah. So for people who haven't seen the movie, we should be a little bit more specific, I guess. But like when I say he's going insane, he's treating the dummy as if it's another person and he's literally sitting around having conversations with it. And eventually the dummy starts telling him that he's got to like hurt people and stuff. Um, and him and the dummy are literally getting into arguments over the woman in the movie played by Anne Margaret, who's he's falling for. And the dummy is like jealous of. Um, but it's. Like I, it's I, I think there's a little bit of like a mislead a bit where they're like maybe it's supposed to be the dummies alive, but pretty early on I think it's clear that it's just him going insane. So you're watching Anthony Hopkins have arguments with himself over a woman who's also, right. by the way, married to somebody else, and has at that point in the movie said she has no interest in leaving her husband. <laughs> so it's it's real fucked up, and and again, like it's I I genuinely love that performance. It's a very weird movie, but the performance yeah. is so good that it just carries this film. Um, if you if you don't buy into the performance, I imagine the film seems very strange. Did we did we mention one of the other key actors is fucking uh, Burgess Meredith, which is always fucking great. Yeah. 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 
it, it is, is performance is... is performance in this is goddamn like Oscar bait. Yeah, it, yeah. it's really it's solid. Again. And it's really different. Like this movie came out in 78. So at this point, he's Mickey from Rocky. Everyone knows him as that. Right. And it's a very, very different performance, even though he's in some ways playing a similar role. Like he's the manager for this character. Um, but yeah. he's it's, it's, it's a really different character. He plays like a rich fat cat who like drives a Rolls Royce and won't let anyone else touch it and shit like that. And always wears fancy suits. And he really nails it. It's very well done. The the funny thing is, I knew he was in this movie. And then when they introduce his character, he's got like glasses on. He's smoking a cigar. He's at the nightclub, and it's like a really pretty tight close close up on his face. And I was like, "Holy shit, George George Burns is in this movie too." <laughs> and then I have to take a second. I'm like, "Oh no, that that's Burgess Meredith." Okay, you know what? <laughs> Man, they do those two do look fucking a lot alike. Oh yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just a, weird. It caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting, like you said, I'm expecting Mickey from Rocky. I'm not expecting fucking, uh, you know, agent to the stars or whatever the fuck he is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would, I would dare to make the argument of even if you aren't interested in watching this whole movie, that just fast forwarding and watching the scene of the manager character showing up to his little cabin oh my god and and them having that exchange of oh my god him it's realizing hard. that his his brain is broken and all he wants to do is help him and he's kind of like hurt by the fact that he's going to have to hurt Corky's character to save him and all that yeah it's real fucking good that is that is some acting fucking shit that is probably watched in acting schools. I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah. It's that so that whole scene is so intense and it's really, it's again, it's just two guys sitting in a room, but the way you can see Burgess Meredith go from like, he's there as a manager just comes in, has no reason to be there except I want to take this guy back and get him on TV so I can make some money. And when he sees how fucked up Anthony Hopkins character has become, he's just like immediately like he sits down and he's like, oh, God, this is this is no good. I got to help this guy. And you can see it kind of wash over him. It's so well done. And then to watch Anthony Hopkins sit there and he's like, OK, uh, I'll pretend you're normal if you can go five minutes without making the dummy talk. <laughs> to watch Anthony Hopkins sit there and like go all stir crazy and he's tapping his leg because he cannot wait five minutes between making the dummy speak. Oh yeah. And the two of them putting on just amazing. And it's like three minutes of dead silence, pretty much in a film of just Burgess Meredith doing these casual reaction shots Mm -hmm. of, of Anthony Hopkins's anxiety. I, I don't, it's, it's really fucking good. Yeah. I was, I was super impressed by the performances I mean, I can understand why somebody else watching this might look at it and go, well, that's three minutes of silence. But if, you know, if you're kind of a lover of film, I think it's this is a little bit more of a high end film than what we usually talk about on this podcast. And you really are watching it <laughs> for the performances and stuff. Um, yeah. But I was I was sucked. right. I have to admit I was sucked in. And the whole time I'm thinking this is pretty fucked up because there's three characters on screen right now. And one of them's a ventriloquist dummy, but I'm still fully engaged in the movie. 
without even at that point there hasn't been anything resembling violence there hasn't been really any threat of any kind other than we can kind of gradually see the anthony hopkins character going mad and i mean there's always that kind of impending threat of how far is this going to go what happens when someone challenges his delusion you know but you're nothing actually plot wise leads you there which i'm uh are we spoiling this are we doing a spoilers section or it's a movie from the fucking 70s that's what i thought but i just don't know if a lot of people watched it yeah yeah i would recommend go no further if like you're interested in seeing this and haven't seen it yet. Yeah. I don't but, know about that. But we're, not gonna, we're not going to pull any punches. It's from the 70s. If you haven't watched it yet, it's your own fucking fault. Well, I mean, and I would go and say, I don't think hearing the plot points is going to mm. matter that much. I don't think it's the plot that you're here for. It's, it's, it is definitely the, the performances. Yeah. yeah the, the devolution of this character from, you know, star to fucking raving lunatic is what you want to see. And that all comes through. Regardless uh, of whether you know what's going to happen, you know? Because I was going to mention uh, this interaction between the two at this cabin leads to what I think is one of the creepiest shots in the movie. When Fatso tells uh, Corky to put a bunch of rocks in uh, after he quote unquote kills Burgess Meredith. Yeah put a bunch of rocks in his suit and then swim him out to the middle of the, the lake and then just let him like drop him. So then cut to Anthony Hopkins, like swimming backwards while pulling Burgess Meredith with him. And, he, and it shows a shot from his point of view where he looks up and the fucking puppet is like leaned up against a window in the cabin. That's facing mm-hmm. the, the lake. Yeah. And it's just this weird, dark, like creepy looking shot and you just slowly it slowly gets smaller and smaller as he's like swimming away but it's just the fucking weirdest like this fucking dummy just leaning against this window watching what he's doing essentially creepy Mm -hmm. as fuck yeah and i and i love i love the use of the dummy even whenever he's not controlling it because they do it in a whole bunch of scenes where they just have it positioned in a way where it's leering or something like that. Uh, and really the only, the only flaw is the scene where he gets up and walks away and the doll moves on its own. And, and like I said, according to the director and the writer, it was an accident, but they were like, it looks so cool. We can't cut it. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I, I feel like that diminishes the film. If that makes sense. I don't mm. Because I, I think there is the uh, in, in the eye of the person watching the film that maybe there's the potential until the very end of the movie that it is, in fact, the doll that is evil. Yeah, but, I I thought, but that muddies the water having it move. Yeah, I guess my my takeaway from that is and I'm, I'm justifying here. I admit that, but I just took it as, OK, well, that's that happened in. Hopkins's head he believes it moved but we all yeah. know it. you know right. like and yeah I'm, I'm adding that to the movie to justify it because I liked everything else that was happening um, but <laughs> it, at the end of the day I I think it's I think you could you could interpret it that way I don't think I'm doing anything that's contradictory to what we see on screen yeah but at the end of the day, just don't worry about that. <laughs> worry about yeah. all the other stuff that's going on because it's fantastic. I was, there's only one other scene in the the movie too that I 
I feel I'm confused by, but I'm confused by from the perspective of the character. So when he does the psychic magic trick with her, Mm -hmm. and he messes it up the first time, and then the second time he does the whole angry, but then like almost like a broken down sad thing. I don't quite understand how because the implication at the end of the movie was, oh, he used this. He uses that trick a lot to get women into bed. And I'm like having having an unjustified abuse of rage and then then being weepy is a way to get into women's pants, because I feel like that doesn't. That doesn't make any goddamn sense. This is the 70s. There was a lot of drugs going on back then, man. Yeah, who knows? And I'm no good at getting women to sleep with me, so I, I, <laughs> maybe maybe I should start trying that. I, I did, yeah, I just I just thought it was weird because I think I I just don't understand the purpose of the anger in that scene. And once again, it's it's a great performance and stuff. But it, in the once it's recontextualized at the end, I was like, but it doesn't make any fucking sense. So. Maybe you're thinking they were doing that to show his uh, that rage that's just kind of underneath the surface. And I think they kind of did that as well in the opening scene of the movie where he's doing those magic tricks and stuff. And you kind of see him lose it on the crowd for a second Mm -hmm. and all that. And maybe they were doing that. But once again, since that whole trick is uh a bullshit fake out mentalist trick. There's no reason for him to be angry because it's just part. I mean, <laughs> it's part of the trick. He's doing it on purpose. Yeah. But I think also he's part of his, um, growing insanity is not being able to draw the line between his act and the real world. And that's, you know, obviously the most obvious version of that is the conversations with the dummy, even when nobody else is around. But, um, I think we're seeing it in that scene too, right? Where he's, there's supposed to be a little bit of anger that comes out as part of the trick. And he has no control over that anymore. He's now genuinely angry instead of just kind of faking it. If that makes sense. Maybe. Hmm. I mean, I'll be honest. Like when I watched the movie, I thought he was losing his mind in that scene (laughs) and that's how I took it. And then at the end, you're right. Like they comment on it. Um, and imply different things, but I don't know, those those moments happen far off part in the movie that I didn't really connect them until you brought it up, to be honest. Yeah. Mm, any other moments? How about how about whatever he's beating uh Burgess Meredith to death with the dummy and he's oh, and he's voicing the dummy. Yeah. Being being swung, which is just I don't know. That's like something about that scene. So next level crazy that you're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't disagree with you. It's nuts. What about the fact that he's terrible at killing Burgess Meredith? He tries twice. And it's like this feeble old man. And then they find him the next morning and he had just enough strength to get himself to shore before he died. <laughs> like how fucked up is that? Right. So he like tried to beat him to death with a dummy. And then as he's trying to, dispose of the body realizes he's still alive and then the next morning realizes he probably wasn't fully dead even at that point it's not really clear exactly when he died but it's, it's pretty messed up terrible or murder just like his magic tricks yeah 
he needs a lot more practice. They need to do another cutaway <laughs> scene and they come back years later and he's well, I guess technically, you know what? He, the second murder is much better and he uses the ventriloquist dummy to pull it off. So it's the same trick with the magic, right? Yeah. I was going to say it's, it's interesting too. Cause the, this movie plays out very much like a, uh, almost like a Shakespearean tragedy, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Where like it, it starts with this guy with his whole life in front of him and then he devolves a little and then he makes uh, a terrible judgment call and it just spirals out of control and he ends up killing people he cares about. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then commits suicide just before the the girl he's in love with professes her love and decides to run off with him. Yeah, I mean, she was probably going to change her mind when she found out about all the murdering anyway, but right. That, that is that uh, it is heartbreaking at the end because we have we have spent the whole movie with this character. And just as we're seeing him die, then she's walking up to the house announcing her love for him. And we know we know he's in there dead and she doesn't. It's like, damn, that's a little that's a dark ending, even for well, the 70s. Well, and committing suicide by stabbing your own self in the stomach with a very small knife. That's a dark way to go. And he's like, the first thing I was thinking is like, if you kill yourself that way, you're going to lay there for a long time. And he does. And they show it all. (laughs) Right. He is, he is laying there talking. It's like, I, I, it's hard to like guesstimate exactly how long that was. I guess I could have checked when I was watching, but it felt like it was 10 minutes of him laying there dying and he's laying on the floor and the dummies laying beside him and they're dressed the same at this point. He's talking. And, and then there's that, ha- they're having a conversation about how they're both dying. Yeah. And that, that really sick moment where he's just like, the dummy's like, do you think I'll die first or you? And he, he says like, Oh, I suspect we'll go together. Like it's like he's acknowledging, yeah, I'm clearly I'm insane and clearly I'm both of these two things. So he knows he's nuts at that point. And it's like he's putting himself out of his misery. And it's. It's weird because he's killed two people on camera, two innocent people, one of whom was directly trying to help him. And yet somehow we are sympathizing with this dying man as he chats with his ventriloquist dummy on the way out. It's fucking weird. <laughs> oh, there's all sorts of interesting stuff about it. Like I said, there's a, there's all sorts of allusions to random things. I've also I listen to a bunch of uh, podcasts that are usually comedians interviewing other comedians and kind of talking about the, that whole craft of stage work and stuff. And a lot of them have talked about something similar to this film, the idea of a lot of people develop a stage persona and and then it ends up being problematic because they have a hard time turning that on and off. And yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've heard that too. Um, that, that basically, yeah, people, people get lost in the character that they've created. And that's, I think this is commenting on the entertainment industry in that way. Obviously it's a bit of a ridiculous version of it, having him get lost in a fake ventriloquist dummy. But, um, that I mean, that is a thing that you you hear about comedians and and occasionally even actors, right? Like they have trouble stepping out of their roles when they get too dedicated to them. So, yeah, yeah. I was just listening to one this morning with uh, what's his face, Anthony Jeselnik. Yeah, on it, and you know he's talking about his 
you know, the fact that on stage he kind of exudes this arrogant, narcissist, assholey mm-hmm. thing. But that's not, you know, who he is. And he always talks. Oh, it's he, not. He, no, no. Apparently he's a really, really nice guy normally and all this the other comedian was talking about that as well and he said you know part of his nightmare is walking off stage and he said people will walk up to him and be like hey you want to hear a joke and they'll tell him some god-awful racist joke and and he'll be like you don't get my show at all (laughs) like yeah (laughs) like that's that's not what I was doing I'm not (laughs) but yeah Yeah. I just thought that was interesting you know it's actually a really uh it's a good point though. I've heard that a lot of times and this movie is clearly commenting on that. And I don't know if they have, if they're intending to comment on the, like the wider idea of the entertainment industry, kind of taking advantage of people and chewing them up and spitting them out. Or if it's just, if that's just something I'm reaching for, but well, obviously, or, or, or the fact that that kind of, that kind of performance does something to you. Yeah. And I don't know what it is, but because once again, a lot of comedians and stuff talk about that, about how they're all kind of mentally ill and they have a really hard time talking to people who aren't comedians, who they don't because they don't understand. (laughs) Well, yeah. And even a lot of more well-adjusted comedians take someone like a Jerry Seinfeld. will say like he only likes to talk to comedians because that's the only people he can relate to. And there's something inherently unhealthy about that. Even though he's, you know, in in most by most measures, he's like a normal dude who's just gotten rich and famous by through this career. But there's something unhealthy about the fact that you can't step away from that thing you do. That you, in order to be successful at it, you have to get so uh, entangled in it that you can't have a normal life ever again. And that's sort of a weird thing. And I think this movie kind of is addressing that. You know. A thriller movie kind of way and yes i almost said horror movie but cut myself off so i think i yelled at <laughs> <laughs> i mean i get i get that it's a ridiculously thin dividing line but i don't know i i i feel like the intention of a horror movie has to be to inspire fear in the audience it has to be right. and i don't believe this movie is even intending on doing that maybe I, make you uncomfortable but I've I've said before and I'll say again I don't necessarily think it's it's not something I choose to spend my energy on trying to decide what category to put movies in. That's probably healthier than what I do. <laughs> <laughs> At least you realize it. Yeah. Now I'm all worried Noah's uh, going to develop a persona where he can't stop putting things into categories. He's be walking around his office or his home just categorizing all the people. Is this hey? Hey, is this a book or is it a tome? I think it's more tome like. <laughs> we're gonna know we're gonna know when that happens because Noah's gonna come on the show and be like, well, I'm getting divorced, guys. <laughs> God, you yell about tomes three, four nights in a row, and the next thing you know, women always overreact. <laughs> uh I feel like we've uh when we reviewed the movie Fallen with uh, Denzel Washington. Yes. We commented about how if you could take up like a B movie idea and put some stupendous actor in, they can elevate the movie beyond what it's supposed to be. And I feel like this is another case of that situation. 
like a killer ventriloquist doll is not something new. It's not something that hasn't been overplayed like a billion times, even up to the seventies. But suddenly you put Anthony Hopkins in this role and you describe it much more of a descent into madness and it becomes way more interesting than, than you would think right off from the bat. Yeah. Well, and it was really interesting because when Noah was giving the list of other actors who had been considered for the role, I can picture how different the movie is by putting those other actors in. We, we yeah. obviously, we have an idea of what it looks like when Jack Nicholson goes crazy while locked away somewhere for a while. Um, <laughs> you know, and, uh, the weird thing is you'd think between Jack Nicholson and Gene Wilder that Jack Nicholson would be the easier one to imagine, but I can actually, I think I see Gene I, Wilder easier. I think Gene Wilder would be the better choice for this movie. Um, I, I still think Anthony Hopkins is the perfect choice and I wouldn't change it no matter what, but yeah, Gene Wilder makes sense to me in a weird way. Mm. Did, <laughs> did I mention that fucking young Anthony Hopkins fucking weirds me out? I don't know. why. <laughs> I think it's because it, it I weirds me out I, a little bit too. He's like one of those actors. I didn't really become aware of until like after silence of the lambs and all that. Yeah. Yeah. So now whenever I go back and I spot him in an older movie, I'm like, hey, what, what the fuck? <laughs> he was never youthful. He was always a <laughs> middle aged <laughs> old man. Well, it's the other thing is in 1978, he's not famous yet. So he's still really, really acting. He's not Anthony Hopkins yet. So he's covering up his accent better and other things like that, that he later didn't have to do because they were hiring him specifically because he was who he is. Right. So it, I, in some ways it's the kind of the classic case of like an actor versus when he became a, a movie star, you know, you wouldn't, you would still want him to speak like Anthony Hopkins if you were to hire him after 1991, but before that he was acting. Right. Yeah. So Amanda likes, you know, on show days and stuff, She's always like, oh, what, do you get? what movies are you guys doing tonight? And I was like, oh, we're doing creepy ventriloquist dolls. And then <laughs> I showed her the trailer because I'm like, I really like this one. And I showed it to her. And she, as soon as she realized it was Anthony Hopkins, she's like, he's like a baby. <laughs> like, Look at him. He's like a little Anthony Hopkins baby. He's, he's 35 or something. but Right. He just he does he seems so young yeah the the other thing that makes him so perfect for this role and and i don't i don't mean to say this to denigrate anthony hopkins because i the guy's a genius but there's something about his posture and his facial expressions even even whenever he's playing a nice character that makes him feel like he's leering at people. Does that make sense? That. He kind yeah, of, he always that. has his shoulders hunched and kind of his face a little slack. I don't, I don't know. There's, there's something about that, that especially whenever he's trying to play a creepy character, it works so fucking well. Yeah. And I, I don't know how much of it's acting and how much of it is just him being a creepy weirdo, because that's always hard to tell, but there's something about it. Like even when he's not doing anything wrong, there is a creepiness factor underneath it all. Right. Like even through all that weird seventies fashion and, you know, the nice guy routine and the fact that he's being funny in a lot of the first part of this movie, he never feels normal. He never feels like somebody you'd want to leave your kids alone with. If that makes sense. <laughs> no. 
like and it, I, I don't know how he pulls that off I, I can't explain it but it's definitely like you know and maybe it is as simple as you know I already know who Anthony Hopkins is um but I didn't know going into this movie what we were going to get. I went in pretty blind because this movie had been recommended to me like 20 years ago. And so I'm like, all right, I'll throw it on the last of movies. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's there's something about him, man. Everything he does on screen is near perfect in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, I ended up looking up the Blu-ray and putting it on my uh, Amazon wish list. Yeah. To possibly Even purchase though. later, so... Yeah, for sure. I mean, the movie's available for free on YouTube right now, and you've already seen it, but now you need to buy the blue. Yeah, I need to see all the special features. They have, like, a making of thing stuff. Do they? So, yeah. I'd be curious to, to know where they filmed it, because they should probably just do the next Friday the 13th there, if that place is still around, because it's <laughs> the perfect setting. <laughs> uh, all right, anything else? No, it's it's a big recommend as long as people understand that it's not the kind of movie we normally recommend on this podcast. And it's, you know, it is a it is a psychological thriller. It is uh, an acting fucking performance. That's what you're there to see. You know, you're here to watch this character go mad, and you can know that going in, but experiencing it is something different. And you just have to decide whether that's something you're interested in watching or not. Yeah, it does take a minute to get going. So I, it's one of those movies. I, I don't recommend this being one of those movies that it's an hour before bedtime and you're like, oh, I'm going to watch some movie. <laughs> it's like, mm, probably this is probably a after dinner movie. Sure. Why not? <laughs> I watched it after dinner so I can stand by the fact that it works in those circumstances. Uh, all right. Noah, why don't you tell us about Devil Doll? Devil Doll. Uh, so, uh, uh, hypnotist slash, uh, ventriloquist comes to town and he begins doing shows, which are very impressive, especially since he can apparently make his, uh, doll get up and walk around and talk on its own, which is pretty fucking freaky deaky. Uh, there is a news reporter who's been assigned to do a story on him. He has his girlfriend volunteer to be hypnotized by him. Shenanigans ensue. Of course, the ventriloquist is evil. And the doll is inhabited by the soul of his former stagehand. And he's planning on doing the same thing to the new girlfriend uh, and put her into a doll. I mean, really, this is going to sound weird, but this is Dracula with with slightly different. It's it's Dracula with slightly different motivations. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. And in the center of the movie is a weird interlude with a bunch of tits. Skip go. <laughs> Which is, if they were more spread out, it would make more sense. I just don't understand. I don't understand why there's quite a few tits and they're all within, I don't know, what, 15, 20 minutes of each other? See, here's the thing is this movie came out in 1964, right? So it's a weird era for exploitation cinema. Right, right. Where, it's, yeah, it's, like it's it's after the Hayes Code's been declared unconstitutional, but they're still enforcing it for another four years. It, Yeah. So you get this weird thing where it's like. This movie is a weird blend of like, like there's violence and there's tits. But they all feel a little out of place because the a major part of the movie still feels like a 50s movie 
it's very strange. Right. Right. The main character, the uh, the reporter is a very noir esque character. Yeah. Well, the whole idea of having like the driving plot line being this reporter is looking into the uh, looking into this magician, which is a strange thing for a reporter to be looking into. <laughs> but it's like, um, I don't know, it feels like something out of a 50s movie. You know, and that the, those sort of reporter characters became villains by the late 70s, right? When they were chasing the Incredible Hulk around or whatever. But <laughs> they, but in like a 50s movie, a reporter would have been like the protagonist looking into whatever. And that would have been how you, that would have been the way, the, the point of view character looking into the weird dark shit that we don't normally want to talk about. And they're, they're still doing it here, despite the fact that it's kind of past that era. So it's sort of a, it's a very strange thing where I'm like, there are times where I'm watching this and I'm, I almost feel like it's a universal classic where we're expecting, you know, <laughs> right? And, and then you turn around and there's tits everywhere and you're like, well, that's, I don't usually see those in my universal classics. That's unusual so, to me. <laughs> that's what I was getting ready to say. So the, it, tonally it's, it's so fucking difficult to describe this movie. And the only thing I can think to call it is it's universal Dracula. And uh, Puppet Master had a baby. <laughs> like, like those, they're so disparate. They're two fucking very disparate weird things. But if you watch this movie, you're going to go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> you're not wrong. Uh, yeah. I can't, I can't counter that with anything, really. I can't go like, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> push-ups to shove that's an accurate description of this movie still feels wrong to hear it <laughs> <laughs> so here's I, I i'm conflicted i'm conflicted on this one guys because this movie's kind of shit right <laughs> like it's not it's not super good it's got that bland muddy uh late 50s horror thing to it which I mean, basically, like if it if it wasn't like a Hitchcock esque film, it probably wasn't very good. Yeah, in America, anyway, they were still making good horror movies in Europe at that time. But, but yeah, so there's that. But I really fucking love greasy exploitation films, and this one's trying real hard to be a greasy exploitation film. It's sure thinking about it, isn't it? But it's just, it's a little too clean. I, I, if this was a little dirtier, I think I would be like, nope, it's okay. Everything, everything bad about this film is okay because these people were complete sleaze. And that's even, all right. Even if just, um, like even if it was just in color, so the blood scenes were a little bit bloodier and, you know, different looking rather than being old 50s style kill scenes, it's, like I'm, I'm there with you in I don't know if I liked this movie or not because it's very confusing as to what the hell I'm watching. Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of this movie either. Yeah. It's especially if you watch Magic and then you immediately turn this one on. Yeah, there was like a half an hour uh, break between the two for me. Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, don't do, don't do that. We, yeah, I fucked it up again. Should have watched them the other way. I think if I would have watched them the other way, maybe my expectations wouldn't have been so high. Yeah, and uh, I think part of it is just. Yeah, like I, I think it really comes down to era. I think they 
because of when this movie was made, they weren't comfortable leaning into either direction of either we're going to make this like a serious dark 50s horror movie, which could have been okay. There's nothing, there's no reason why we couldn't enjoy watching a movie like that, even though it'd be relatively tame. Or you go the other way with it and you've got, you know, make his stage show into a one of those fucking 70s movies where there's just so much unnecessary nudity. <laughs> but the tr- they, they didn't know how to edit the nudity into a story yet, I guess, at this point. Right. So my my biggest complaint of this movie, because uh, while it's not... <laughs> It, it just like it, it fails in ways that aren't egregious, if that makes sense. Like the the acting and stuff is that that kind of hammy 60s style, which that's and that's not their fault. That's like that's when this movie was made. But the most egregious thing the, was the ending of this movie written by Stephen King, because it feels like the laziest Dusex fucking I've written way too much of a book. I need to end this shit right now. Ending all time. <laughs> it came out of nowhere. Yeah, that's that's fair. It comes but out I, of nowhere with no justification. Yeah. And I, no I, relevance I, to the plot of the film. Yeah, I can't I can't argue again. It's did we tell people what the ending is? Like the ending is that the guy that was trapping other people in there gets himself trapped in the doll. Which is not exactly a huge twist, I don't think. I think a lot of people would see that coming. But but he gets trapped in there because he gets in a fist fight with the doll. Yeah. And it's never explained that there's any way for this to happen. Yeah, no, there needs to be dialogue or something explaining why. Because I don't... I I still don't understand why. I didn't like the movie enough to go back and rewatch it, so... I took what that the doll had figured out whatever his process was and when they got into a fist fight, the doll initiated switching bodies with the magician. Okay. But, but did you get that from not, that movie or did you? No, I'm, that's, that's what I took. I haven't looked anything up about this movie. I can, I could buy that a little bit, but the problem is, is doesn't he establish the fact that the process takes a long time and that's why he has to seduce and marry the, the rich woman and keep her around until he can magic up her juices enough to <laughs> kill her and put her in the doll. Oh, I don't know. Maybe since they've been around each other for so long, it's easier for him to do it or something. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Cause yeah. Cause there, there is the whole plot line of him, you know, using his hypnosis powers to get that girl to leave her fiance and come with him and all that. And why go through all that? Yeah, I don't know. Like, although I guess it, in the confines of the movie, he's planning on making her part of the show. So he needs her to, you know, not just come along for the night, but there needs to be an explanation as to why she's leaving her whole life behind and going away with him. Right. Does that make sense? (laughs) Not as much sense as anything else. I was going to say, I also don't know a ton about the, uh, the attitudes of the, the sixties, but in the middle of the film, when he hypnotizes that audience member, and has her uh, basically strip in front of the audience. Mm-hmm. Don't. Wouldn't somebody be pissed off? <laughs> like, <laughs> it seems like somebody would get angry about that. Like her, maybe. Maybe it'd be her that would get mad when she found out that. Well, her, her definitely. But I mean, I, I could see the problem being that I kind of assume I think hypnosis is bullshit. 
I have I just have a real hard time believing that it's really a thing. Okay, but for the purposes of the movie, it is right, 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 in, right. In the world, but right. but I'm saying from from if if you implant me into that movie and I'm sitting in the audience watching this stage show, I might assume it's just part of the show. Uh, but you'd think there would be at least one woman or something in that audience that's like, "What the fuck? You can't just force a woman to fucking strip in front of a room full of people, you fucking bastard!" Like, yeah. There, there is a thing there where, it, yeah, like it is just. I mean, I guess that's. I don't know what you call that. If it's a, if it's an assault or what you want to, what word you would use to. But it's, yeah, she's taking all her clothes off in front of a crowd for. Really, no, it, it really is against her will, right? Right. Mm. But it's 1964, so the people would be like, "Well, your husband should have." Uh, Told you not to do it, but he probably would have been okay with it anyway. Why don't you wander on home and make your family some sandwiches? <laughs> You're the one that did it, you silly whore. Now we're going to take away your career. <laughs> <laughs> welcome welcome to 1960s America. You feel that she would have been canceled by their standards? Oh, yeah. She would have been blamed 100%. Mm-hmm. She, they would have been like, why, wouldn't, why didn't you have a goddamn chaperone at that show? You were out in public alone. We saw the type of underwear you were wearing. You obviously wanted us to see it. See, the funny thing is that, like, in the confines of the movie, I feel like everyone in the movie just was like, oh, that's a good gag. And they were all just going to move on from it. And there was not really meant to be much more thinking about it. Yeah. Oh, 100%. It was just in, in the 60s. It was such a non thing to have something awful like that. But. <laughs> It's just crazy to think about. It had to even even back then. I just have to imagine at least one person going to see this movie and being like, what in the rapey fuck did they put in this movie? Keeping in mind, this is a full 20 years before things, you know, like. Like Animal House and Revenge of the Nerds and stuff where everyone was still just going along with shit like that. So, no, I, 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 I don't I think suppose, anybody. Would I suppose that's any. true. In the 80s, it became heroic, which is even yeah. crazier. Oh, yeah. We're 20 years, 20 plus years away from uh, 16 Candles when Anthony Michael Hall takes the passed out drunk girl home with him and has sex with her in the car at some point. And we're supposed to at the end, we're just like, yeah. They all had fun. No big deal. Yeah, yeah it's probably, probably good we had that B2 thing, I guess. This is, <laughs> this is depressing, discussing how long it was okay to mistreat women. Um, what other nonsense was in this movie? I feel like there's lots of nonsense. Some of the stabby parts were pretty good, because guys like it when you stab people. I don't know. The doll's creepy as dog shit. Yeah, when the doll gets up and walks around, I have to admit that that is genuinely creepy. Like, I did not like it when that doll walked around. And then when it turned around and you could still see the thing in its back where the hand would go, I'm like, oh, I don't like that. Because that makes me think it's really a ventriloquist doll. The real question is, little person or child labor? Uh, Little person. Are you sure? I was going to say child labor. Yeah, but if you have actual facts, I'll accept them. Well, as actual facts as IMDb will give you. Okay. Just apparently there was a little person and it was a female that played the, the doll. Oh, progressive. Yeah. 
<laughs> and then later backstage, they made her strip against her will. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, based on the proportionality of the doll, I was going with child, but yeah. I'll accept that. Yeah, I don't know. Cause it, the problem is there aren't a whole lot of like standout moments. This, the, the, the film just kind of goes. Yeah, and then that middle part where like it's a burlesque show for a while out of nowhere. There's not much you can say about that. It's just a thing that happened. It's well, so, I, there, I just don't understand why the tits are so compactly directly in the center of the film. It's because it's almost like when something is done in reshoots. It's like they didn't know how to put it in their movie yet. So they were literally just doing whatever yeah. else they were doing. And then they're like, ah, in the middle, we need boobs. It's the 60s now. It's not the 50s anymore. Get some boobs in there. So they just did. Especially the scene where the girl with the big boobs is like sleeping <laughs> in, in the back of the stage. And the yeah. fucking doll just walks in and then like stabs her and then just walks mm-hmm. back and sits back in the cage. They're probably just like, yeah, we can throw something together in 10 minutes. Let's do this. Yeah. Hey. It feels forced, I think, is what the point we're all making without really saying it. Right. It's, it's very forced. And, you know, like I say, it wasn't part of filmmaking at the time yet. It wasn't. By the 80s, everybody fucking just knew how to just was, write a scene in where there's just some boobs because you need them. The but third. The 60s, they couldn't do it. The third set of tits, the uh, <laughs> the girlfriend of his... I don't his, have them listed in order here, so you might have to be more specific. Well, the, the girlfriend of the, the... Whatever, the friend that was in Germany that he calls to have him look oh, into okay. the magician, who's just lounging around, kind of walking naked for no damn reason. That, yeah, she's, she's I was true. like, ah, they predicted the 80s, because that, that scene right there <laughs> is very 80s. <laughs> Of just like they were like, we need to squeeze some tits in here. Just, just have his girlfriend walking around topless. Uh, yeah. The burlesque scene feels more like something from the 70s. Like they go to a go-go club and there's just a random. Yeah. And there's no good reason for the story scene, to take yeah. to it. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it, yeah, you're, it, the whole thing comes down to just this this weird era this was made in where it wasn't. Like you could show your tits if you wanted, but nobody knew how to do that yet because they hadn't been just casually writing boobs into movies for no good reason for years. So it's hard to, it's hard, you know, post haze code proto sexploitation should be its own genre. This kind of makes you want to dig real deep into this era of movies and find out what other weird shit came out in the, in the little gap between the haze code being unenforceable in the MPAA being founded. I don't, We'll have to sounds like something we're gonna end up watching a bunch of now. Basically, you'd say <laughs> so. Uh, anything else before we uh move along? What I still haven't really gathered from this is, did any of us like and or dislike this movie? Because, like I said, I'm I'm on the fence. My my opinion of this film is it's all right. It would have been. This this is one I would have had way more fun if there had been like a group of people watching this so we could joke about the bad parts a little bit. Yeah, I can see that. But just sitting there watching it on my own, it was like <laughs> boring at the beginning and kind of weird at the end and tits in the middle. So <laughs> three, I guess I guess two thirds of it was all right. I think the problem, too, is that the, uh, the boring part happens at the beginning, which is problematic because... 
if you're having fun with a movie and then there's a boring part, you can kind of motivate yourself to sit through it a little better. When the boring part's at the beginning, that makes it difficult to sit through even the slightly fun parts. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of this. It seems like nobody is... uh, Nobody's willing to come down anywhere on this film. Really, nobody's nobody's willing to say bad, but nobody really wants to say good. Everyone's just kind of like, yeah, well, oh, it's, it's a movie, like, all right. It's a movie. Well, yeah, it's one of those things. This isn't this isn't the worst fucking movie I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, I watch yeah. a lot of bad movies. This one's not. It's not that bad. It's just in a weird transitional spot. I mean, I suppose as a film study, it's it's extra interesting because, like I said, especially from the the perspective of what what the future of film held for exploitation. It's interesting that you see the seeds of it all Yeah, here. They're not being done right, but, but the ideas are there. If that makes sense. The idea of, yeah, just randomly putting nudity into movies for the sake of it rather than because it needs to be there. Thanks for calling the midnight drive-in. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to TheMidnightDriveIn at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Uh, what have everybody watched since last time? Not a goddamn thing. Been driving for 16 hours, didn't open up a bunch of free time for you to... Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even have time to go see Ghostbusters, which makes me real sad. Doesn't come out until Friday. I think it came out last week. I think it comes out on Wednesday. You guys are both wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't this your Thanksgiving week as we record this? Yeah, as you... No, that's next week. Oh. I think it comes out on the 17th, whatever the hell day that is. Is that, so we know, is that so we right? Because I could have sworn AMC was doing, because I was extra mad, because AMC was doing a thing where if you got tickets opening weekend, you're in and for a drawing to uh, get a Ghostbusters pinball machine. Oh, you still have time? Then. Uh, let's see. Mm-hmm. So, so are, are we on mic now going to be Googling the uh, upcoming movie release dates? Uh, for for movies that will be released before the podcast gets dumped on on these poor people who are well, sitting through this. I'm going to cut this out if you would stop oh. talking. Uh, comes out Thursday. Okay. Yeah. Well, good. Then I've still got yeah. time. Amanda I also need to go see Clifford too, the so. Big Red Dog. No, you don't. Are you actually going to go see Clifford the Big Red Dog? I, I don't know. I might. <laughs> I don't hate Jack Whitehall. That's still. That's not so, enough. I, lots of I, other stuff you can I also see. like dogs. It's a big doggy. Jesus. Oh it's raining. God. If it's raining next weekend, I might end up seeing it, but it's for different reasons. All right. So, anybody watch anything last, last, since the last time? I think Noah said no. It's, yeah, it's on you, Doug. I didn't see shit. Oh, so, what'd you say, right. Doug? I got a few things I can talk about here. Uh, first one, well, the big one, uh, I went and saw the new documentary, Clerk, which is the. Mm documentary about kevin smith that he yeah. is currently touring with and doing q a's afterwards so you can guess whether it's a favorable documentary or not <laughs> um made well, it's by, also also made by uh, malcolm ingram yeah. who's like one of his best friends 
Yeah, they've been they they actually came up on stage after the and told the story of how they met, which was in '94. So if they're still <laughs> friends now, at this point, he's not going to make a documentary with a lot of scathing stuff in there. <laughs> but I mean, if you're a Kevin Smith fan, it's super fun to just see all the familiar faces pop up and say nice things about him. Yeah, I'm definitely uh, going to see it. Uh, Smith was like within like three hours of of me, like twice. St. Louis and Chicago. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know. This seems like a, a long drive to go watch it. So how long so, did you drive, Doug? About three hours. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, apparently at the St. Louis show, uh, nobody wore masks <laughs> and Malcolm Ingram being Canadian and, and used to a more rational culture started to uh, get a little nervous on stage. And he said, I got to step out for some air. And then Smith's up there doing his Q and A, and he gets a text message saying, "Yeah, I'm back at the hotel. I'm not coming back up on that stage." <laughs> so they told that story at the screening I went to. Nice. Um, I forget he talked about Chicago too, but I can't remember what he said. Because <laughs> it's getting to the point where Kevin Smith does so many Q and As that it's down to like, "Well, guys, want to know what I did last night?" <laughs> it's like there can't be much left to tell. Like it's just how it is, right? Yeah. But. Yeah, I mean, there's, there, I don't know if there's much left to say about it. It was, it was a fun to watch. Um, you know, it's always fun to, for something like that, it's fun to be in a room with a bunch of other like-minded people. Mm. Um, you know, there was only one interesting thing that was that they brought up about Kevin Smith that I'd never thought about before. And it, they had Mark Bernard interviewed for it, who hosts the Batman on Batman podcast, or I don't think they call it that anymore. Um, Fat Men Beyond, it's now Fat called. Man Beyond, it's now called. Okay, it's like, <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Um, anyways, but like he brings up the fact that he's like, you ever notice how diverse Kevin Smith is? Like, you know, like he hosts a podcast with a black guy. He never talks about it, but it's still kind of rare to have black heroes in the geek community. He's obviously done the gay stuff in his movies the whole time, which he's Kevin has always said is because, you know, to help his brother relate to the work, which is interesting. But then, you you know, you go back and you think about dogma. He made like, Chris Rock and do one of the apostles, you know, like all that stuff is like not something you think about with Kevin Smith too much, but it is interesting that he's been kind of fighting for diversity for a long time because it wasn't exactly cool back in 1994 to start doing that. Right. No. Especially because if, if you said, imagine Kevin Smith fans, I would just think a bunch of white dude bros. Yeah. I picture us like, <laughs> <laughs> that's who i imagine hey you know, i am not a dude bro i, t I totally went to the, the screening with just another white dude we met at a at like an english pub and had you know had standard white guy beers and then went to it you know yeah i don't know if i would say dude bro i'd say more schlubby fat guy schlubby, ah, it's hard really any i consider basic, dude any basic bros white like, male yeah yeah i consider dude bros like frat bros yeah that's fair and I don't feel like those are his, maybe they used to be, but I don't feel like that's his key audience anymore. I, uh, it's almost like, though, it depends on which level you're appreciating the humor on. I feel like because they're us fat slubby <laughs> Kevin Smith fans <laughs> do. There's another version of Kevin Smith fans that we look down upon because <laughs> we figure we're in on the joke <laughs> and we understand it, but they're laughing at it for the wrong reasons. Because 
because Lord knows I don't come across pretentious enough on this podcast, so I have to find <laughs> ways to make myself sound worse. <laughs> um, but that's definitely a true thing that I'm like when I'm at a Kevin Smith movie, I will look around and I will find the people who I think are not enjoying this movie correctly <laughs> and I'll think negative thoughts about them. So there you go. He's not, a, he's not a real fan. Fuck that guy. Yeah, I know. Like he's he's laughing at the gay jokes because he thinks it's funny that the guy's gay, not because he's laughing at the way society views gay people. See, it's different. <laughs> so we're both laughing at the same joke, but I'm still better than him. And that's what's important to take away from this. <laughs> God, I wish I was kidding. I'm such a prick sometimes. <laughs> it's well, I'm not even. I, I mean, like I was saying with the comedy thing earlier, I think that's, I think that's right. Yeah. Like, because a lot of people go to these certain comedy shows and they laugh at a joke and they're not laughing at it because yeah. of why it's actually funny. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, you're right. You're right when you said that I was right. I agree with you. <laughs> <sighs> so, how was the movie? That was it was fine. Like I say, it's it's a buddy making a documentary about his buddy. They're not gonna there's nothing yeah. mind blowing in there, really. No. Just if you're a... <laughs> if you're a Kevin Smith fan, then you've probably heard him speak about his himself before because it's mm. what he does almost more more so than being a filmmaker at this point. Yeah. I was thinking it's amazing, like when those Evening with Kevin Smith DVDs came out. Yeah. And you were like, this is amazing. Like just sitting and listening to him answer questions for like two hours and mm -hmm. crazy stories that he tells. Yeah. Then after like 10 years, 15 years of that, you realize like, oh, okay, I've heard all the stories now. He'll end up repeating some of them. He'll tell some new stories. But mm -hmm. after a while, you're like, okay, I, I get it now. There is an element of like he's telling the stories and like so the friend I went with had never been to anything like this before. It's way it's a bit outside his wheelhouse, but he likes the movies. Right. Yeah. So he's like for him, the documentary is probably somewhat informative, weirdly enough. Um, yeah. But during the Q&A, he was like laughing at stories that I've heard 10 times. You know what I mean? And I still enjoy oh. going and, you know, like anything oh, else, sure. you go, you go to the event and you're, it's part, it's an experience as much as it is just hearing the story, but mm -hmm. it's, it, it was, it was interesting to be there with somebody who didn't know every story automatically. Cause it's mm -hmm. like, how do you not know all this? Oh, yeah. I, I, I guess yeah. you're not, not as pulp culture as obsessive as me. Oh, you pay attention to your children. Fine. Be that way. <laughs> Yeah, the the first tour he did after his heart attack, he uh, came to uh, Galesburg, which is about 45 minutes away, and we went and saw him. And then he, they also did a Jay in Silent Bob Get Old afterwards. So, yeah. of course, we bought tickets to both. And, yeah, it was like Amanda doesn't necessarily know all those stories. So well, it was interesting to listen to her kind of, you know, listen to him and laugh or whatever. And then I've heard a majority of them. And then of course he was telling news stories about having a heart attack and stuff. And of course threw in the obligatory and, you know, when I was laying there on that, on that table and I thought I might not make it said to myself, I have to make it just for those motherfuckers in Galesburg. And then everybody started like laughingly booing at him. And he's like, <laughs> what? Come on. The rest of the story was true. That's <laughs> That's kind of fun to me. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's pretty fun to me. I like that. <laughs> like, don't patronize us. Uh, the one time I went and saw Jay and Silent Bob get old, and uh, Jay was telling a story. And at the end of the story, he realized that it took place in Toronto and that he was currently in Toronto. But I, think, I don't think he he didn't meet, do that on purpose. It just happened. And he's like, oh, wait, no, because it was on a but on a flight. And he's like, oh, wait, the flight was coming to Toronto. And Smith's like, you didn't think to mention that the stories about this city that we're in right now, that maybe would have kept everyone a little more interested. It was pretty funny. Anyways, that's probably enough about a silly documentary that means nothing. <laughs> Just our excuse to go on and a little rant there. Yeah, I'll end up seeing it when it comes to streaming or something. Yeah, it's and it's you know it's worth a watch if you're a fan. It'd be interesting to hear from people who aren't Kevin Smith fans who watch it and just to see what they would think. But yeah. I don't. Then again, it's hard to imagine anybody who's not a Kevin Smith fan that would watch it. I don't know why you would. So, yeah. I don't watch document. I don't watch documentaries about films I don't like. Why would I do that? You know, there's there's no making of the Twilight Saga in my future. So, I'm just trying to imagine like my nephew who's like going to be 16 here in a couple months. I'm almost guarantee he's never seen a Kevin Smith movie. Yeah. Like if he if he watched this documentary, he would probably just be like, "What the fuck is this? Why are we watching this?" I don't yeah. get anything they're talking about. Well, I mean, I mean, to some extent, they tell the story, so you're gonna see it all. Yeah, sure. And, and like I say, it, you're gonna hear from Mosier and Walt Flanagan, and everybody else that you can guess would be in this. And so, anyways, I right. don't know what else I watched. You just want to talk sure. about? That. Yeah, what else did you watch? Um, so I rewatched It Follows, which I hadn't seen since it was new. Um, you guys remember like everyone was talking about how great that movie was when it came out? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, they were right. Everybody was right to love that movie. I, like I kind of forgot about it. Um, and I just stumbled across it on whichever streaming service. And I'm like, I should watch that random streaming service telling me to watch this. You're correct. Um, I'm going to guess Noah hated this movie. because That seems like something Noah would hate. Never seen it. Never. There you go. And maybe just don't, so we don't have to yell at you. Because um, it is a very slow burn movie. It is one of those ones where we don't get a detailed explanation as to what's going on. And it really is just about following this group of characters in this weird atmosphere. And there's probably a bunch of subtext that I didn't take the time to think about because I was just trying to sit down and enjoy the movie. Um, but yeah, I. it's every bit as good as people think it is. And I immediately was like, I wonder what other horror movies this made director made after. And and there aren't any, and that was a little frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you mean? There's not a follow up to this. That's a horror movie. And like nothing close. So yeah, I was going to say, I felt like he's one of those. It's like, oh, I wanted to be a filmmaker and I figured making a horror movie would be easier. And it's kind of like, like, Oh, I hate those people. Well, that's not how the film comes across because the film comes across as somebody who is genuinely interested in creating the atmosphere and in having the characters be believable and stuff like that. Um, so it doesn't feel like that sort of lazy filmmaking that some, somebody who is just like trying to get their first film make might make a slasher or a zombie movie just because they think they can cash in on the trends. Um, this certainly doesn't feel like that. No, but I feel like I've heard an interview with the director and while he wasn't trying to cash in on trends, he's just like, well, 
I mean, horror movies are easier to get made. Like I can talk a studio into giving me money to make something. So from that perspective, yeah, maybe. Yeah. So he was able to make that, but then he was interested in making like different. He wasn't interested in sticking around in the horror genre. He wanted to make other stuff. Which is fine. Like, and and he, he's probably right that it's easier to convince a studio to give you money for a horror movie. Yeah. Especially a, a very minimalist horror movie. Like this one. Yeah, there's not, a, there's not a ton of special effects, but there is some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, but yeah, I can see. And I mean, horror is the genre that can make money on low budget, right? More so than almost anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because when I forget what movie, it's 2014. So yeah, like Netflix and stuff was a thing, but they were also still trying to make money in theaters and on home video and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a. It's a huge recommend if anybody hasn't seen it or hasn't seen it in a while. It really holds up well. So, yeah, um, yeah I've had friends that have seen it, that have watched it, and I was like, "So, what'd you think?" And they're like, "Oh, I thought that was fucking terrible." And I'm like, "Really? Me? I don't understand that at all." I'm curious what. I mean, I can understand if you're if you have different expectations going into it, like if you're looking for a monster movie. And you get in there and it's like, well, the monster's fucking invisible. Okay, well, I can see that being a problem for people. But I can't understand how you think it's actually a poorly made film. Yeah. Oh. And I just like the uh, the concept of it. I feel like the uh, the everlasting feeling of dread in this movie is pretty fantastic. The idea that you could get on a plane, fly exactly halfway around the world wherever that would be so you're as far away from this thing as you possibly can get but just the idea that there's something still on the planet that is walking in a straight line directly to wherever you are yeah creeps me out and they do a really good job i think of selling it in the movie where it's like when she's in school for example and she just looks out the window and there's just like an old lady walking slowly towards the school and you're like yeah like it's not immediately intimidating, but I know it's going to get here sooner or later. Yeah. <laughs> and that's fucked up. Right. Mm. Yeah. I don't, it's, I know there's something about the group of kids in it too. Like, I don't know how old they're all supposed to be exactly, but they just, they felt natural and the way they all came together kind of felt natural. It's like the guy across the street just ends up kind of joining the group, but not in a corny way, the way it is in some movies, it really felt like, yeah, that's, you see the guy across the street in trouble, you go over and you offer to help. And then now you're stuck in this shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It, 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 it came across the same way. I guess a group of kids in a lot of movies comes together, but better. It felt more real, more natural. And it felt like there was a bit of a history between some of these characters, you know? Mm-hmm. So always, that's always hard to do is to have a movie start and make it feel like all these characters have a, a history together without spending a whole bunch of time on character development and they pull it off. Yeah. Yeah. They do a really good job of it. So, yeah. So that one's really good. Next one's really good too. This is one I hadn't seen before. Uh, the autopsy of Jane Doe. Mm-hmm. So we talked about acting a lot in fucking, uh, magic, but this movie here, the first, like, I don't know. What is it? Like 40 minutes of it or something. It's just two dudes in a room doing an autopsy and it's still 
like thoroughly engaging. You're just watching it the whole time, like wondering what's coming next and nothing has happened yet. And then like the second half of the movie is where like kind of all the, the more horror stuff kicks in and that's all good too. But I couldn't believe it. Like when the, when the sort of the action picks up and everything starts to proceed, I'm like, wait, why am I still so interested in this movie this far in? And I think it's really just, it's mainly Brian Cox's performance. Um, but yeah, really, again, another director that came along and was able to just create atmosphere and create a feeling of these being real people in a real situation so that when things do get all fucked up, it has that much more impact. Yeah. Um, so it's like, I don't know, the the father-son dynamic between uh, Brian Cox and Emil Hirsch, I I couldn't get over how much they felt like a father-son to me. <laughs> like there's moments where like because there's the moment where like the Emil Hirsch character is going to leave with his girlfriend and he's like fuck I gotta go back my dad needs me and the girlfriend's like no your dad said you could go if you want and he's like no but I got like that sense of obligation to go back even though technically you have permission to leave that mm-hmm. I think is kind of unique to parents and their children where, you know, yeah, yeah the dad, the dad legitimately said, go have your fun. Cause he wants him to go have his fun, but he secretly wants him to stay. And the kid feels obligated to stay, even though nobody has told him he has an obligation to stay. There's something about the way that works that I just thought was like, yeah, that's what yeah. happens with parents and kids. And now they're, now they're both there and they're both stuck there. And then again, later when the kid is acting like he wants to leave, now the dad gets mad at him for wanting to leave. And it's like, but you said he could leave earlier, but it's like, because you chose to stay, now you're stuck here. Now you have a responsibility. And it's, there's something about the tone between the two of them that I thought really worked. And all of that makes the horror stuff that kicks in in the second half of the film much more impactful because you care about these people in the situation. All right. Yeah. The only, I mean, if I have any complaint about the movie, it's like, it's pretty predictable where it ends up. Like, it's like, I don't know if we should spoil it, but I will and say like, yeah, it turns <laughs> out they're, they're doing an autopsy on a witch. And it's like, I knew that. I knew that a long time ago. <laughs> it's like <laughs> when the, when the quote unquote reveal comes, I'm like, oh, was, was I not supposed to know? But that's fine. Like that's, it's not their fault that I watch so many horror movies. And I guess every movie is somebody's first movie. So <laughs> That one person who'd never seen a horror movie before was probably shocked when that reveal came. Um, well, I've gotten to the point where I try to stop, I try to stop guessing where stuff is going. So, yeah, it's hard though. <laughs> it is hard. It's that's why I like a lot of times for the movies for the podcast, I don't even watch trailers and shit because it's like, well, I, I know I'm gonna watch it. I might as well go in as blind as possible. <laughs> but it's still hard because you just end up wanting to guess yeah there's sometimes where i'm just like 20 minutes ahead of the movie mm-hmm. so the, the only thing i could do is listen to amanda go <gasps> like when they reveal something and be like yeah yeah that's I know. fun it's fun when that happens though when you're with yeah. somebody who if you're watching a movie with somebody who doesn't know what's coming even though you do is sometimes very enjoyable that's true um what else did i watch this week there's probably more stuff i don't know oh uh, i rewatched chopping mall yes yeah you did do you guys want to know if I, if I liked it or not? Um, I'm assuming you did. Yeah. Holds up. Still just. What if what if he watched it and he was like, oh my God, I don't like this anymore. <laughs> Show over. Not an issue. Don't worry about it. God damn, that movie makes me happy though. Yeah. Way better uh, than it should be. It's just, it's like, 
I, I mean, just to put this in context, the background on my phone is a picture of a Killbot. But then if I lock my phone, the lock screen is the poster for the movie Killbots. So <laughs> that's, does that say enough about it? Do we need to get into it again? People can go back and listen to the like three times we reviewed it and the commentary <laughs> track we did for it. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I feel silly talking about it again, so. Needless to say, it's great. Um, did you get to watch it in a theater, though, did you? No, I didn't. That's a bummer. Everybody should uh, have that experience because it was pretty fantastic. Uh, if, if it ever comes up, like I will, I will drive three, four hours to watch it in a theater. It's not a problem. Maybe I'll take a bus so I can watch it on my phone on the way out. Um, <laughs> but then uh, there, I did watch one other thing. I finally watched uh, Shang-Chi. Oh, yeah. So, uh, except it's on Disney Plus now, because things go to Disney Plus real quick nowadays. <laughs> um, I liked it. I don't know. I don't remember if you guys liked it or not. I liked the first half a lot more than the second big, half. Big I really fan. enjoyed the, the, the martial arts element of it. I enjoyed a lot more than the mystic flying dragon element of it. Mm. But uh, uh, Yeah, Noah really liked it. I thought it was okay. Yeah. But I feel like it's one of those, like, I will probably never watch it again. No. I'm not feeling like I'm going to have a draw, like, oh, I should watch Shang-Chi again. Whereas I could be like, oh, I should watch one of the Spider-Man movies again or something. You know? Yeah. I will say this as it pertains to, because like, you can't talk about one Marvel movie without talking about the universe, right? Sure. But I've, the one thing I always say is I love the fucking balls they have. Bringing back the character from Iron Man 3 and making him a major character in the second half of this movie. <laughs> what the fuck? You're practically spitting in the face of your audience, but somehow I'm still enjoying watching it. <laughs> and I, I honestly feel like the next time I watch Iron Man 3, I'm going to enjoy it more now because I laughed at that character a lot more in this movie than I did in that. <laughs> um, so I'm like, I just. The fucking balls on these guys. I love it. <laughs> But more importantly than that, so I watched this one, I watched Black Widow, and I watched Eternals, all like within a month of each other. Mm -hmm. And we're back in a place where every Marvel movie feels different, which is important. Yeah. And I like that. I like that. And they're all still big action movies. They still all still end with the big scene where everybody's punching each other. We know that's coming, right? But they, it feels like, once again, they're making movies that are totally geared towards the characters that they're centering on if that makes yeah. sense so shang chi was a, like a lot funnier than those other two it was and it was you know clearly played that way on purpose and black widow was your more sort of serious actiony movie and then eternals was more character driven and dramatic and it's like okay you've you've that's good i want to get back to that because that was where i was worried the mcu was headed into post guardians they seem to want to make everything into guardians um and i'm glad they're not doing that anymore so that, that gives me hope for them to be able to revitalize and rebuild a new team and go forward yeah i am finding i'm happy that the the movies are very diverse now yeah as far as you know what's going on but i'm still not like i don't feel as excited about them as those first well, like handful and I get the excitement's kind of worn off because the Marvel Universe has been around for like 12 years now. But Yeah, we're also into characters yeah. that... Like, I, I was never a 
a big Thor fan growing up or a big Iron Man fan growing up, but I knew who their characters were. And I, and you know, I remembered when they made guest appearances on other shows and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So now we're into Shang-Chi who I legit didn't know who it was until the movie got announced and then read up on it a bit, you know? So that's just is what it is. Right. And we already yeah. talked about black widow, I think is just that movie would have been so much better if it had come out in chronological order instead of after the character was gone. Especially with everything that's happened. Like the the meta knowledge is always problematic with stuff like this too. Cause it's like in our heads, like we all know, like there's a chance that Tony Stark could come back. There's a chance that we could see Chris Evans as Captain America again. We're not seeing black widow again after she fucking sued them. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) at least not that one. Yeah. So like, it, it's you know it, it's it's a weird thing like that where it's like you can't you can't turn that knowledge off especially not with these big blockbuster type movies they're not they kind of feed into that so I don't know that that's my big takeaway is I'm super excited that they're making different movies again so that if you ever don't like one you will still be excited for the next one still still the next one might be the one you do like right yeah I agree and that I think that holds true for like we were talking about the trailers for the Disney plus stuff. I think it all does look different. I think everything does seem to have its own tone and you can definitely say that like WandaVision was very different from Falcon and the winter soldier was very different from Loki. So it seems like they're, they're understanding that that's what the appeal of comics is, is making different things and then trying to figure out ways to bring it all together. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to see where where to get something. I we got all kinds of series coming up, some good movies. Spider Man yeah. comes out in like a month and a half, so can't wait. The only problem is they are kind of taking over the world at this point. Where I'm like, fuck. <laughs> yeah. I do want to watch some other things, Disney. <laughs> other we got some... culture I need to intake, and once in a while I should leave the house. We're like, oh yeah, we got we got uh, Star Wars stuff to keep you covered. Don't worry about it. It's... God damn it. <laughs> Did you watch anything else? No, nah, that's it for me. Uh, see, I watched a couple things. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I watched Absentia, finally, and forgot oh. to bring it up. So, well, I, uh, You should have brought it up at the time. I know. I forgot. I don't think I had logged it. So when I went to look at the movies I had watched, I kept forgetting because uh, it wasn't on there. But... Yeah, I watched it. Yeah. Guy comes or fuck, I'm even forgetting the plot now. Is it Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, the the no that, seriously. The the sister comes to live with her sister and just as the one girl's getting her life together, yeah, her husband shows up after he's been missing for seven years and was just declared dead in absentia, hence the title. And then a bunch of really crazy weird shit starts happening. And uh, I think like you had brought up, like it's obvious this was a very low budget, so you don't see a whole lot. But once again, Mike Flanagan's so good that he is just, he's able to shoot around stuff and still bring great atmosphere to it. So you still end up falling into whatever, uh, whatever plot trap he's wanted you to fall into and feel a certain way. So yep. he's still really amazing. Even, even super early on, he's amazing at that kind of stuff. Yeah, it really shows that when he had 
no budget to work on, he could still do what he does. And then you see him you know, basically doing a lot of the same shit as recently as Black Mass. And you're like, OK, it's just a bigger version of what he was already doing. Makes total sense now. Yeah. So if you've been following along on our Mike Flanagan uh, film festival, uh, make sure you go check out Absentia if you haven't. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, gotta watch Doctor Sleep. You do. Gotta find that director's cut somehow. Yeah. I also need you to buy the director's cut of Rocky Four and <laughs> put it on movies anywhere because apparently it's not released in Canada. Oh, that's shitty. It's uh, so even on know. movies anywhere. I'll have to look. I don't know. I like I I got excited for it because they did like a one night theatrical thing, and then the next day it was supposed to come to VOD. And like I like legit had plans to sit down and watch it, and then the fuckers not be able to hear. I'm like, because I've got Stallone on like Instagram, so he's like telling you where you can watch it. And I've got his thing open, and I'm searching all those platforms, and I'm like, no, I can't, you asshole. You son of a bitch. <laughs> You're tricking uh, me, Sly. Rocky movies are not on movies anywhere. Damn it! Tell you. Disney hasn't bought them yet. Give them time. Oh, so they're MGM, but it's weird though because. That's the other thing is when I was searching for it, I'm like, like the Rocky movies are available for rent on YouTube. So why wouldn't this one be there? I don't understand. Yeah. Fucking regional uh, distribution deals. I don't get it. I don't understand, especially with stuff that was made specifically for digital distribution. Right. Yeah. Someday they'll get their act together and be like, well, Canada and the U.S. are close enough. We can just put them all in the same distribution deal. It'll be fine. Oh, I I do not understand why it's so complicated. I get like, <laughs> first of all, I, I understand that distribution deals used to be different across the world pre-streaming. But it's been long enough now that why are new things being done that way? And then it's still bullshit because you still are the ones that made the deal, which means you can change the deal. You just get together with everybody involved in the deal and say, we need to change this. And then you do it. Yeah. Bunch of assholes. I was, I was going to give them money so I could watch a movie. And now I can't do that. I'll just keep that money. Thank you. Uh, let's see. The other movie I watched was called the deep house, which is an interesting idea. So this follows around, starts off like it's a found footage movie, but it ends up not being one. So if you start, if anybody starts watching it and they're like, Ooh, found footage, just give it a couple minutes. It goes to like regular movie, movie mode. Um, so it's these two, this is a couple that are, the fuck do they call themselves? Like urban explorers. They go okay. into like rundown like buildings and stuff. Yeah. Just kind of see what's up and they go pro it the whole time. Um, so, you know, there's some um, back and forth about the, the, the girlfriend is, this started off as like his thing and she just kind of went along, but now she's really enjoying it. She just likes, uh, she just likes sort of going and doing all this stuff. Um, where he has become more invested in, like, we have to get, like, so many views or, you know, or it's not even worth doing and all this stuff. So they're kind of not on the same page with kind of what they're doing. But they're in this specific country and they hear uh, there's 
supposedly when they had uh, dammed up part of this river or whatever, uh, this little village got like submerged in the 50s. 50s, 60s, somewhere in there. And there's reported to be a house that is completely intact um, in this lake. If you dive down, you can, you know, go into it and see that, like, there's still dishes on the table and, like, all this stuff. Somehow it was not disturbed when this whole area was flooded. Okay. So they go. turns out that they... It's like, yeah, super secret spot. And then smash cut to like fucking spring break in this in this fucking lake. So people everywhere. And it's like, this is bullshit. This is not even right. And then, of course, there's some weird, creepy guy that's hanging out that's like, oh, yeah, it's not in this area, but I definitely know where it is. I can just show it to you for such and such a price. So they take him up on it. He takes them to this part of the lake. They dive down. They find a weird way into this house that's been undisturbed. And then they find two bodies like hanging in there that have been freshly preserved for however many years. All right. And it turns out they're in a uh, underwater haunted house. Well, that's fun. So then everything starts going like super creepy and crazy. And, you know, there's people moving about the house. And this is like a pretty low budget horror movie. I don't fucking know how they shot this movie. Like, obviously they had a set that was submerged underwater, but like all of the quote unquote ghost people don't have like any mat, like breathing apparatuses or anything. So that means they had to like, you know, shoot this movie like two or three minutes at a time. I have no idea like how, like it turned out superbly well for I'm sure how complicated it was to shoot it. Okay. It's good to hear. Like that's always the kind of thing you like to, uh, you like to hear is that low budget filmmakers are finding a way way to get shit done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so they have, uh, and some of this stuff is a little, um, found footagey, but, they find clever ways to do it where it doesn't feel like found footage. They have this automated drone that essentially follows them that has a camera on it. Okay. So it can kind of explain why you're getting more of a wide shot of the scene and it'll cut to the, each of their individual GoPros and you know, whatever. And then sometimes it doesn't feel like they're even bothering with the found footage. You'll just get a random shot that you're just like, Oh, okay. guess I don't have to worry about it, but we're cutting back to the back and forth to all this stuff. And, uh, yeah, I, it's pretty interesting. It, um, I feel like it, uh, in the middle, it gets a little slow. Yeah, it can happen. Uh, but I feel like, I mean, I feel like it's almost as close to real time as they can get once they get into the house. Cause they're constantly checking how much air they have left because shockingly, once they get in the house, they can't get out. So they're trying to figure out how to get out of this house without running out of oxygen and, Okay. Dealing with weird ghosts and stuff that are trying to kill them and what's going on in this house and what weird shit was in here. Um, but if you like underwater, like horror movies and stuff, I find it very interesting, a very interesting concept of diving down into a haunted house and being trapped in there for 
however long it plays out. That, that's a really neat idea. I like that idea. Yeah. So check that one out or, or forget, never watch it. Yep. One or the other. Uh, and the last thing is, real quick, I started watching a movie called Yellow Jackets. It's on Showtime. Okay. Uh, <laughs> So you cut back and forth from like 1996 to present day. And it's about a female championship soccer team that's going to play nationals. And apparently they're the, the plane they're in goes down in the Ontario wilderness. Okay. And they are lost there for 19 months. How, uh, how hard would it be to find somebody in the Ontario wilderness, Doug? Um, Ontario is a very big place. Okay. Depends on, it depends on where. So, I mean, I don't have the exact, the, just the description just says Ontario wilderness. I mean, if it was, if it was Northern Ontario, no. um, there's no reason to believe that you would ever find anyone up there. It's pretty, right. there's a lot of forest and a lot of just nothingness. Okay. Well, the only thing I can't figure out is why they were flying in that area. Um, they go into the nationals. I assumed they were American, but I guess yeah. I could be wrong. They could be Canadian, but again, they're going to nationals up in Canada. Would it be feasible to fly in that area to get wherever they're going? Depends where nationals are. Like yeah. if you're flying, I guess if you're flying to nationals out west, you'd have to fly over the entire country, depending on where you started. Yeah. Okay. Me and Amanda were just questioning like the feasibility. I mean, it doesn't really doesn't really matter. So anyway, during it's during winter time too. So they crash crash in this forest. Um, and then, you know, we're cutting mainly to present day where all these girls have now grown up. They were obviously found, at least some of them were. And they've all taken a vow never to talk about what happened while they were stuck there for 19 months. And then we keep cutting back and forth. And we jump around post-crash a lot. So there's a lot of weird shit. I'm only on episode one, so it's going to clear up a little bit. But it very much feels like it turned into a uh, giant uh, female Lord of the Flies type situation. Where yeah. it looked like they were purposefully hunting one of the girls because there was nothing to eat. And so they captured her, chopped her up, and then cooked her over the fire. I mean, that is a kind of a staple in storytelling is yeah. you have, you know, everybody was... Uh, we were lost. Everybody went nuts. And now we've agreed not to talk about it so that, you know, nobody should be really held accountable for what they did out there. Yeah. And the thing that really makes this interesting is they have a pretty decent cast. Um, okay. Don't really know any of the uh, young counterparts, but two of the older ones are played by Christina Ricci and Juliette Lewis. Okay. And, and then there's another one who's played by like that woman. If you saw her, you'd be like, Oh yeah, she's in a ton of stuff. Um, and now that apparently there's like a reporter snooping around and, you know, they've all gone their separate ways, but someone's snooping around however many years later. And so now they're all having to get in contact again to be like, this woman's snooping around. We promised we would never talk. So, 
we don't know what's going on. So I found it really interesting and I think it's 10 episodes long. So I'm interested to kind of see where it goes. It's on after Dexter on Sundays. So there. So maybe when I, when Dexter's all available and I can <laughs> pay for that app for one month to watch it all, then I'll watch both of those. Yeah. You should watch yellow jackets as well. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Next week. Uh, because it's my turn to pick and I didn't look at the list beforehand. Uh, I'm just randomly going to pick something. And since I love Stephen King stuff, we're going to do maximum overdrive and Christine. I'm so down a bunch of a bunch of Stephen King killer car movies. I recommend both of those. Oh, sorry. Are we supposed to watch them and review them first? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <sighs> uh, so. so what I heard was we're watching trucks. We're not watching trucks. You can watch trucks all on your own if you want. <laughs> I've actually never seen it because I've heard it's god awful. It's god awful. It's at least maximum overdrive. We know we know it's just cocaine fueled fun. But I've heard trucks is terrible. Uh, yeah, no, it's yeah. Trucks is we're not discussing trucks next week. It's not happening. <laughs> no one wants to watch it and tell us about it. I can tune out for a few minutes, but that's about it. Oh, come on, but Timothy Busfield. I don't know what that means. Is that the redheaded guy? <laughs> yeah. Okay. He was on uh, thirty something, and yeah. one and of those cool. uh, one of those movies where somehow a kid ends up playing in Major League Baseball. You know, there was like four of those all around the same time. He's in one of those movies. Obviously, you guys are not busheads. Jesus. That's not a thing. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say good night. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.